Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. We explore popular practice songs and ideas in the modern church world in the light of sola scriptura and toto scriptura. I'm Cody Fields. You can... Uh, what am I saying? I'm the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff at westminstereffects.com. Join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. You can support the show at anchor.fm and even a dollar a month helps. You can also subscribe and make sure you share the show on Facebook and Instagram. Tag us and all that kind of stuff. And you can win a book. That should happen next week. <laughs> should happen <laughs> next week. You keep saying that every week. I know. It's, <laughs> people are just going to stop believing me at some point. It's like the guy who says he has a girlfriend and then the girl friends never around <laughs> michael scott <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and you've heard him uh joining me in person hey everybody it's bradley uh cox pastor of resurrection <laughs> church in greer south carolina we got all riled up before this we did and now we don't even know what to do with ourselves old lutheran john is not with us today he's got some stuff he's taking he is taking it care of oh my goodness this is going to be a train wreck mm-hmm. of an episode today i can feel it uh it's not even that i feel it we already have the evidence of it uh yes. but we're just going to roll with it um normally in the inquisition section as is tradition we start with brian morris but he we're just going to go ahead and give him the main topic today and we've talked about this topic before but we have new listeners uh and it's an important topic particularly uh with the fact that so many churches have full bands these Mm -hmm. days Uh, and he asked what is the line between artificial and authentic stage presence can this even be defined uh, why do so many church musicians look miserable on stage? I don't think they're actually miserable. Some of them might be. Uh, but when you are actively leading the congregation and worship of the most holy, glorious, fascinating being, really yes. good adjectives, yeah. in all of everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you should look joyous, not tortured. Yes. Whew. Well, that's true. Um, I mean, personally... In terms of, and you know this, uh, I scale back <laughs> my bouncing around from yeah. what I'm used to. Yeah. Uh, like, we actually had uh, our loud band practice last night, and, oh, yeah? and I was significantly more power stanced. <laughs> Did y'all practice here? No, we, uh, we, we actually have, uh, we run my in-ear rig that we used uh, oh, okay. for Easter. Zach has an electric kit. Oh, okay. And so, literally, the only thing that you would hear if you were in the room is just drums, just those pads <laughs> getting slapped, and voices. Everything else is completely that silent. That would make a great video. Yeah, everything else is actually completely silent, so Ooh. we're not irritating neighbors, we're not blowing up our dogs or anything yeah. like that. Um, it's like the, you ever seen the video on YouTube where, um, who is it? It's Mick Jagger and oh, no. somebody doing Dancing in the Streets. And they took all the music out. Oh, no. <laughs> it is hilarious. <laughs> I can imagine. But, I mean, it's a, it's, this is a legitimate question with so many churches going more, you could say, with higher production value. Yeah. Whether you call it, whether it's lights, even moving light strobes and all that kind of stuff. I don't think we're really going to go there. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of people bouncing around on stage or what have you, uh, there is... A point where it's it becomes about the performance, right? Right. As opposed to just being there and worshiping. Mm-hmm. And I think I think there's some degree of nuance where 
it's going to look different for certain people, and it's even going to look different in different churches. Yeah. Uh, but there is still a universal line that probably shouldn't be crossed. Right. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, Brian asks, you know, why do why do some musicians look miserable? Well, this Sunday I wasn't miserable, but I wasn't locked in, right. if you will. Right. Uh, and so I didn't bounce as much. I had I was distracted a little bit. Uh, Zeke, one of our worship leaders, skipped a chorus, and it threw me off the rest of that song. <laughs> I didn't even notice. <laughs> well, good. He did a good job skipping mm. that chorus. And uh, it just, my mind was not right the rest of the song. And then even last week, I just wasn't locked in. Yeah. And that's okay, yeah. because it's not my exuberance that makes my worship that's right. Uh, acceptable to God. That's right. I, I think there's a, <clears throat> there's a primary and secondary thing here. Um, yes. Psalm 34 says, you know, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Yeah. So the the primary is if, if I'm on if I'm on stage and I'm leading people so there, there's a combo of I'm worshiping and I'm also leading others in worship mm-hmm. and some people get tied up in knots when they get in front of people I get that and we try to make some room for people to grow in terms of their stage presence and their mindfulness of I'm 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 not only just singing or worshiping myself i'm also leading others right so you, you can grow and, in that and we have seen results like we have seen results. results but i do think you need to be clear about the primary and the secondary the primary is that i as a worship leader on stage not just the person who's doing the lead vocal but everybody who is on stage am i focused primarily on magnifying the lord myself mm-hmm. i want to make much of him i want to um just really lean into my delight and and awe and reverence of the Lord myself while secondarily I'm mindful of those that I'm leading to do the same. Yeah. Come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So the psalmist is magnifying the Lord himself mm-hmm. as he's calling others to join in. So there's a there's a there's a primary and secondary focus there. Even when the apostle Paul says Follow me mm-hmm. as I follow Christ. And even uh, to put it in as vague of terms as possible, in supporting a staff member here, mm-hmm. he told the church, just be the church, sing to us, address address us in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Exactly. Uh, that's what we're doing from the stage. Right. What we're not doing is putting on three poorly covered Coldplay songs mm-hmm. before a TED Talk. That's right. <laughs> which, which honestly, uh, if, if you want to get historical, that's basically what the Roman Catholic Church had been doing and, and still does, honestly, mm-hmm. because the worship takes place on the altar. Yes. Um, where that's one of the big things that the Reformers fought against is, mm-hmm. no, the congregation needs to be the worshipers. They need to sing. Yes. Well, you know, you go across the board in church traditions. I mean, modern, uh, traditional churches, mm-hmm. everything in between, you know, levels of expression are going to vary. Right. And that we, we certainly make room for that. It's like not not every church is going to be as expressive as Res is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Res is an overly expressive church. We're probably in right. the middle. Um, and it's but that's okay. But 
when when someone gets on the stage at a particular church and leads in worship, I think there has to be some level of giftedness. I, and right. I would say spiritual giftedness and also natural giftedness. Yep. You have to be able to sing. I mean, I, I, I don't Please. think there are any churches out there that are just like totally disregard somebody's would, ability to sing on tune. You'd be surprised. Yeah, I know. I've been there. Um, <laughs> I have to. I have to. But aside from that, I mean, there does need to be some ability to be on stage be focused on the Lord and also mindful of those that you're leading. You know, you might yeah. have somebody that can sing mm -hmm. or play an instrument that just isn't comfortable being, you know, yeah, can they perform? Yes. Mm -hmm. And they might be a genuine lover of Jesus, but they just aren't comfortable being primarily focused on the Lord while secondarily focused on leading others and calling them to worship with me, yep. worship with us. And so maybe being on stage for worship is not really the place that they should be in. Yeah, I mean, I think those are legitimate hmm. questions to ask if that's the case. That, yeah, I've legitimately been thinking about that kind of thing is not every musician – because we put so much of an emphasis in, in today's church world on, you know, you serve during the service. Right. That's That's been really heavily emphasized the last 20 or so years. Mm -hmm. You show up and you serve. And that's – it's almost, almost to the detriment in some churches, not ours, I don't think, of showing up and getting fed. Mm -hmm. You know, some people don't need to serve right now. Um, obviously, some people need to – Stop being lazy. It's mm -hmm. a different story. But not every musician needs to get up there. It's a totally different thing than playing in a cover band or, sure. or playing professionally. Sure, sure. And and so I just think we need to be we need to be having conversations about stage presence in that way. Mm. Is you know, we when when I teach, I don't privilege the audience first. Mm -hmm. I privilege the text. I privilege yep. what's there. And and my goal as a teacher, pastor, is to laud, which is why we call it worship in the word. Right. I very much think of myself as a worship leader while I'm teaching. Right. I want to laud what I see in the text with the people that I'm teaching so that they will laud it with me. But I yep. don't privilege them first in the sense that I want to be primarily focused on their their wants and um, needs and desires and and things that are going to appeal to them, right? You know, I'm not afraid to offend people, and you have gotten significantly less afraid to offend people. Well, I'm, in the last I'm, in, months I'm in my mid forties. I am all just, for it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I just I, I think you can't. You know, it's it's like the difference between I'm, I don't I hope I'm not chasing a rabbit here, but you think about the different Bible translations that we had, and we have had questions about that in the past. What yep. Bible translations are best to use? Well, I, I you know, we, we probably, most of our audience understands the difference between a literal or word-for-word -word translation and a dynamic equivalent translation, where one is going word-for-word, -word, the other is going thought-for-thought. -thought. Right. Word-for-word uh, -word would be ESV, NASB, King James, New King James. Mm -hmm. What's privileged in those translations is the original text. Mm -hmm. The audience is privileged second. Right. Okay. In the NIV, the New Living Translation, mm -hmm. thought-for-thought translations, 
what's privileged first is the reader, not the original text. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily wicked in and of itself, right? But I don't think it's ideal. Mm-hmm. Like particularly, I think of the NLT. That could be a really good starting place for somebody. Absolutely, to kind of wrap your head around some stuff. Totally. I, I'm not. I'm not saying throw those out. I'm just saying what's best, what's ideal, mm-hmm. is that we we privilege the original text over and above necessarily making it palatable or easy to read mm-hmm. in general. Now, if someone gets on stage and they sort of fake it till they make it with their stage presence, is it possible that a congregation could be led in worship and actually glorify the living God with somebody who's not really focused on that? They're more mm-hmm. focused on uh, how I look and how I'm coming across on the stage, even if they have the best of intentions. Mm. Possibly. Um, but I don't think that's ideal, and I don't think that's what our goal should be. I think that you know, one of the things I love about um, what our new worship minister has brought to Rez is just the emphasis in practice, in rehearsal on Thursday nights, on yep. time in the Word, yep. on prayer, and on worshiping at rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Not just getting the songs down, but actually focused on the Lord in worship as we practice these songs, and I think that's made a difference on Sunday morning. I do too. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, the emphasis has been fruitful, uh, but also I think even though we end up quote unquote blowing fifteen or twenty minutes on that, and we still get out really at the same time that we always have, um, we're more relaxed on Sundays. Yeah, by and large. As far as I can tell. And it hasn't compromised excellence no. for us. That because really because we already have that standard of, you know, show up prepared, know what you're doing, mm-hmm. at least for the most part. Yeah. I mean, there's we're only running one electric right now, so sometimes I have questions of how I'll sit in the mix with, you know, a part mm-hmm. or two. But, you know, I show up and I and I know my stuff. The drummer shows up. He knows his stuff. And if it's, if it's Patrick, he has notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing. Yeah. I've never... <laughs> Played with a more prepared musician than one Patrick Lowry. Yeah. Uh, oh my goodness, we'll just have to have him on sometime to mm. pick his brain on how he does that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, you bring up a good point. I think you know, being prepared is very helpful um, to how we how we lead in worship on Sunday morning and can even affect our stage presence. I mean, uh, you, you know, as well as I do the times when you've gotten up there, not prepared mm-hmm. and not as prepared as you should be. I've done this and you're so conscious of not messing up the music that you're not even really focused on the Lord at all. You're just trying to get through the song. Yeah. Um, which is every time that we play ever be, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think, I think if, if you can, Talk with your team about the primary and secondary issues. Um, not that, you know, it, it's both and. It's not either or, but there's an order. Right. There. Right. And I think for uh, why so many church musicians look so miserable, and, and I do think of a lot of, uh, it's mainly, at least from what I've seen, it's electric guitarists and bassists. Every now and then, if there's an acoustic guy who's not singing, Mm. Sometimes he'll do that, uh, where they they literally just stand there, yeah, and they just play the notes. Now, there's nothing 
we're not going to say that they're sinning no by doing that but there is something to be said for even the basest mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> even the basest leads mm-hmm. and people people notice i've had uh so many older people here at res compliment how they enjoy watching me play yes which i didn't expect Mm-hmm. honestly but they're like yeah we just like watching you play yeah oh okay i'll just keep doing my thing then That's it's right it's not just don't be a distraction it's as we've been saying lead but then people really do notice these things yeah i think it's easy, like a lot of times a bass player is positioned um away from the front of the stage yeah uh, so is a drummer Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and maybe that's by virtue of the fact that drummers and bass kind of go together like salt and pepper and and you put them in the same spot mm-hmm. and because the drums are a loud instrument you put them near the back and and so at the back they feel more disconnected from the audience and they're sort yeah. of doing their own thing over there and not mindful of the fact that hey i'm up here leading worship there, right. there should be a magnify the lord with me mm-hmm. let us exalt his name together even if you're on the bass in the back corner with the drums yeah and uh i think that's just something that's a discipleship issue like this is a discipleship issue brian right. asked a great question and a lot of times this kind of stuff is not talked about uh, maybe because we just don't we don't know where to root our thinking about it um and i think i think psalm 34 is a great place to to start with your team and just walk through that what does it mean to magnify the lord and invite others to join you in doing that what would that look like how could we mm-hmm. do that without just being sort of uh totally focused on ourselves and our performance on stage yep uh but yet at the same time not not giving any uh thought whatsoever to the fact that we are up here inviting people encouraging people yeah to worship the lord good stuff uh let's move on to the inquisition sure and this is the inquisition where you contribute to the show and we just kind of wing it. Honestly, that's the entire podcast anyway. Uh, but every week, every Monday, in fact, in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge, I ask, give me your Inquisition questions. And then people ask us stuff, and we pick a couple questions and just kind of run with it. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Bradley, we uh, we recorded an entire episode, and then the file got corrupted. So we've already answered this question from uh, from Brad Speed, but we're going to do it again. Uh, is the cartoon song with the various interpretations of the word hallelujah a violation of the third commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain? <laughs> I think I did the same thing when you asked this before. Really I sighed did. deeply. You really did. I, you know, I think I, what, I don't remember exactly what I said on that other recording, but I, I think I would start with I don't know for sure. Um, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. And and the reason I don't think so is that the as I understand the commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain, the, it's God making it known that he doesn't want his name associated with anything he doesn't want to be associated with. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's not just using his name as a curse word, although I think that indirectly applies it's it's not less than that it's not less than that but yeah. it's more than that and, and god did not want his people associating him with anything he did not 
instruct them or command them in to do that. And so don't take my name in vain. Um, there is, I think, um, within that, a call to not treat his name trivially. Yep. And hallelujah, you know, being praise Yahweh. Yep. I think that you could argue that maybe that that is using his name trivially. I th- I don't know if I mentioned this when we recorded before, but you know, I've I've had con- multiple conversations with my children about cussing. Mhm. And uh my daughter is a little rule follower. Yep. Right? So she just it it's just she cannot fathom why people don't do the right thing. It's just like whatever. My son's got a little bit of my break the rules, color outside the lines nature. <laughs> bend but don't break sometimes. Yeah, bend but yeah. don't break. He's got a little bit of that. Um, but I've tried to tell them, look, there are words, and I don't know. I'm not going to mention them on the podcast, so I'm recorded saying them. But there are words that I think could be considered crude, uh, not appropriate in certain settings that – you know, what's the difference between butt and ass, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, crap and the other word. You know, it's like the, the, those are – one might be a little more crude than the other, but the, the thing that I've told my children is, you know, be mindful, be courteous, but whatever you do, don't use words that trivialize really important things. Right. Like the word damn, for instance. That word is, you know – ultimately used to refer to what God does in condemnation. He pours out his wrath. You are damned by God. That's a mm. big thing. And to use the word GD, like you're, you're going straight to the top. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my pastor and friend, Brian Onkin told me he was standing on a sidewalk one time and, um, he heard some guy, I don't know what happened, but he got frustrated and said, you know, gee, damn it, you know, just like that. Mm-hmm. And, and Brian said, I walked over to him and said, you really don't want God to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and he ended up having a gospel conversation with the guy. Uh, when people use the word hell, that's a that's a big deal. Mm. Don't trivialize, minimize, treat lightly something that is so horrible and and uh just tragic i mean that that I, I i my point is to take god's name and use it flippantly is something that i would be careful with and i i this cartoon song yeah maybe i don't know that that's a direct violation of the third commandment but i would caution with it i think i think some of it is we're so used to being some people are going to get their hackles up over the question yeah. because we're so used to being irreverent in the first place. Right. Uh, we're not a very reverent culture of much of anything. And so if somebody says, hey, I really want to be reverent of something like everybody's like, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> even even with God, you know? Yeah. I, I think you raise a good point there. I think part of me is like I, I, where I'm at in life right now is that I'm I've sort of begun to push back against our lack of reverence and say, we need yeah. to recapture some we of that. We need more of it. We yeah. need more of it. And so that's why I'm inclined to go, there might have been a day where I would go, oh, that's no big deal. But now I go, wait a minute. I can see where he's coming from there is that we don't want to treat that lightly. Yeah, even with, uh, 
obviously not one to one, but even with what's going on in baseball right now, where where celebrations and bat flips and and mm. pitchers getting jacked up over an ending 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 strikeout and mm. stuff like that is being more common, but you're starting to see pushback when it's directed at the guy that you just hit a dinger off of mm-hmm. or or the guy that you just struck out like I, th- I think of Amir Garrett of the Reds he's this really tall flame throwing reliever and he has a mouth on him like mm-hmm. he <laughs> they were down one run in the eighth inning and he struck out the a guy for the second out of the inning and he starts yelling at him <laughs> Not just yeah, I'm I'm stoked that I just blew that by him, but yeah, yeah I'm better than you kind of stuff. And then of course the bench is clear. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so we, as a culture, we're trying to navigate like all of this kind of stuff. Like how far do we go with respect toward your opponent or reverence yeah. toward God or anything like that? Well, hallelujah is a word that I would say we should. I mean, you think about traditions like fasting for Lent, and you know where you refrain from hallelujah all Mm. the way from Ash Wednesday to Resurrection Sunday. Mm. Like that, I think that people might, you know, however you feel about Lent and Lent and fasting and all that kind of stuff, whatever. But I just, I love the way that just takes, because I feel like we've lost um, the value and sacredness of certain words Yep, when they get trivialized over and over and over again, and when like, we say them, like he and her, he and her. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he and her, um, it it we we lose the value of those kinds of words, and they're they're meant to be powerful, weighty words, mm-hmm. and you know, like the word believe, faith, yep, trust. You know, you throw these words around in, in culture with a lot of vagueness and sentimentality, and. Uh, I was talking with a couple last night, premarital, and I had them read this article on Desiring God called Nine Words for Every Marriage. And the words are, uh, I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Mm. And the article talks about the, the, the purpose of each of those three statements, each of three words in reconciliation in a marriage because the the headline of the article is that marriage is a lifelong exercise in forgiveness because you're two imperfect people yeah. uh, living yeah. together for the rest of your life. And when we walked through that article last night with this couple, you know, we talked about how hard it is at times to say, well, I was wrong when you have a conflict with your spouse. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about how the, the phrase, I am sorry, is something we just throw around all the time. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and we don't really fill that up with what it, it's intended to be an expression of, look, I feel remorse and grief over what I did. I, I, I realize I was wrong, and now I feel – I want you to know that I feel badly about that. But then the term or the phrase, please forgive me. How many times have you gone all the way through that progression with someone, especially not, your Not often. To look at someone yeah. and say, please forgive me is weighty. And it's it's a level of vulnerability that we're not comfortable with. Yeah, and and I think that it's it's we need weighty words. Is my point. We need words that we fill up with everything that we should fill them up with. And the word hallelujah is definitely not something to trivialize. So, yeah. So maybe I don't like this cartoon song now. 
<laughs> we have talked ourselves out of liking the song. <laughs> next next question from Justin Doherty. A uh, little bit of a paragraph, but I'll try and get through it pretty quickly. He says, my brother is not a believer and is getting married. He's also getting married at a microbrewery. I don't have any qualms with that at all. <laughs> but he has hinted that he would like me, Justin, to perform the wedding. My stance at our church is that I'll only perform weddings on uh, for believers who sit through premarital counseling with me. Uh, what are your thoughts? He also says he lives in a different state and he's pretty combative to anyone who is a Christian or in his own words, quote unquote, holds to those backwards moral and political precepts. He's pretty hardcore, aggressively liberal and equates everyone who is a Christian as a racist, xenophobic, homophobic, bigoted Republican. Uh, so mm. it could be a chance to present the gospel in a hostile setting. <sighs> well, I've never conducted a marriage ceremony mm. so i don't have a whole lot <laughs> other than yeah that could be that could be a really good thing to do uh assuming your your brother doesn't say hey don't talk about jesus at all at the wedding that might be a deal breaker uh i think Possibly. it is uh for me it would be yeah uh, you know one of the things i i have taken taken unbelievers through premarital counseling and performed their wedding ceremonies and seen some of them convert uh, in oh. and through the process. Um, had that happen uh, not that long ago. Um, and, but and the interesting thing was as we went through premarital, the couple broke up and, but the, the man was not a, a believer, at least he was not pursuing a relationship with God prior to premarital counseling, but mm -hmm. in it he began to, and he's still pursuing that relationship with God today, although he's engaged to someone else now. Oh. But that relationship needed to end. Right. Um, my point is, when I tell every couple before, if they come and ask me to marry them, I tell them, look, I'm not a justice of the peace. If you just <laughs> want to get married, then if you want somebody to hit you, uh, tie the knot, then you can you can go find anybody to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're gonna if you want me to get in this with you, uh, we're gonna go through premarital. That's not negotiable, um, and we're going to we're going to be steeped in that premarital, in the gospel, in the scriptures, and this will be a ceremony that celebrates the good news of Jesus Christ. Because I believe that marriage pictures. The gospel. God intends it to picture the gospel. More of that reverence and leaving the weightiness in there kind of thing that we literally just talked about. That's exactly right. So I, I would, I've, I have on many occasions said to unbelievers, you don't have to get saved for me to do this. You just have to agree that this is what we're going to talk about. And this is how this is going to go down, uh, because this is what I believe about marriage. Otherwise, if you're just looking for someone to sign your marriage license, you know, I can point you in the direction of several notary republics that can take care of that for you. Yeah. Um, and 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 many have agreed to go through that. And I feel like I've told you this before: premarital counseling is probably some of the most effective and focused discipleship that my wife and I do. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and uh, it it's it grows every time we do it. It seems to get deeper and sweeter, and we we're, we're wrapping up a, a premarital 
Um, I, I mentioned already, we met with them last night. We got one more session. They're getting married the following week. And it's just been a really sweet time. And I've seen them grow. And from what I feel like was sort of a marginal, shallow relationship with Jesus at the beginning to something that's a little deeper. I've seen them mm. come a little further. I've seen them uh, really engage in Scripture and uh, engage with the content uh, in a really sweet way. And so... Which is a really good foundation to have <laughs> when you're gonna when you're gonna be married to another sinner for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. But I I would not perform a non Christian ceremony. I, I just right. wouldn't do it. Um, that that's just me. Um, not just one of those generic. Oh, they love each other. We're gonna celebrate that. No, I just I think there's you know those are so they're so empty. They, they really are. are. They are, and I feel I feel a sense of responsibility as a pastor, as one who marries people. Um, I I feel a sense of responsibility that I I, w- I wouldn't take a funeral where they said you better not read a scripture. Mm, yeah, uh, you better not. But I have I done many funerals of people that I don't think were saved when they died, and their families are sitting in the audience not saved. Absolutely, I have. Mm. But I've opened the book and I've proclaimed the name of Christ right. unashamedly, and I do the same thing at weddings. Um, so that's me. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to bind his, you know, who answered, asked that question? Justin. I'm not trying to bind your conscience to that, Justin. I know this is his brother, right? Yep. I, I know this is your brother. I think I would probably try to have a, a very, you know, seasoned with grace kind of conversation with him that, you know, if, if you really feel strongly that you need to be able to do a Christian ceremony, you need to be able to do premarital and at least point him to the biblical standard of marriage. Yep. Um, that would be my encouragement to you. But I think, yeah, you need to saturate that decision in prayer. Yep. Uh, last question. And again, dude, you've got to tell me how to pronounce your name because you've only told me that I pronounce it wrong. Farrakh Zindley. However bad I butchered that, uh, asks, "What is a catechism, and where should I start reading?" I mean, um, really, historically, a catechism is it's it's a teaching tool. That's exactly right. It, it's question and answer, which really is how we all learn at some point. <laughs> it's hey, who is God, <laughs> you know, and uh, I th- I personally think the best. non-biblical paragraph ever written is the answer to the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. uh, Answering, what is your uh, comfort in life and in death? Mm -hmm. That I am not my own, but have been bought body and soul by Jesus Christ. Uh, That, like, just read that paragraph and be like, just stew on that for the rest of the day. (laughs) Uh, But in terms of modern catechisms, the New City Catechism uh, that Tim Keller had something to do with and that you spent some time on with uh, the All Seven Days podcast. That's my dad's podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, And last year we started going through it and then COVID happened. (laughs) In church. Um, I think of uh, depending on your leanings regarding baptism and how you understand covenants, the Westminster shorter and larger catechisms are really good. Uh, Luther had uh, 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 had catechisms uh, and on and on and on. Like there's just some really good resources out there and they're all in the back of the Reformation study Bible put up by Ligonier. Really? 
Yeah. I haven't looked in the back of that thing. Yeah, it's got the creeds. It's got yeah. uh, the confessions, uh, like even like Augsburg, Belgic. 1689, the Westminster. It has uh, the 39 articles of the Anglican Church. It has the the entirety of the canons of Dort. Like that's a great study Bible. Yeah, it really is. Um, I use it every week with my life group stuff, that's and it's good. it's fantastic. I, I don't know. I don't have anything to add to what Cody said about catechism. I mean, he, that I think that's right on the money, um, and I think you know. It realizing that all education happens when a question is asked and answered. Uh, every, every, every educational setting is asking a question and answering it. And so the catechism kind of helps us summarize the gospel in question and answer form. And yeah. so I think, yeah, I would go with what Cody said. Yeah, and, and one of the great things about the, the historic creeds, confessions, or rather the historic confessions and catechisms is they will give you the proof texts. Yes. And then you can double check them and, yes. and see if they're wrong. That's right. Uh, and one of the cool things with the New City Catechism, uh, particularly with the app, which they have a free app, go download it. It won't cost you anything except a couple megabytes, mm-hmm. uh, is they have a quote from a dead guy and a contemporary guy. Yeah. And I, I do think they have a couple sprawl quotes. So mm-hmm. uh, obviously he's not with us anymore, but still contemporary. Yep. Uh, but you can see, like, this hasn't changed. That's right. <laughs> it's not like uh, it's anyway. I could yep. rant. I could rant about that for a little bit, but uh, it's the same faith, and it's been the same faith for thousands of years. Which is so sweet, isn't it? It is. Like being able to read, you know, a little bit of a nerd out, but someone like Ignatius of Antioch mm-hmm. or uh, Clement of Rome, and be like, oh, well. Calvin said that exact same thing or, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, so many years later and it really, it looks different. There are different emphases right now because, because we're in Western culture in 2021. Yeah. But it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, good stuff today. Amen. Good stuff. Uh, well, thanks a lot for listening. Join us next week. Make sure you share this stuff and all that good stuff and you'll win a book eventually. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you next week. <laughs>